everybody, this is Eric Mann, you're on Voices from the Frontline, your national movement building show, and I'm happy to be in studio, happy to be listening to Nia Simone to give me some hope. Wow, I've been, as you know, in the civil rights movement since 1964. Yeah, that is in 56, going on 57 years. I do thank God for allowing me to be mentally and physically alert and well and energetic, in fact, working still. My usual 12-hour day and six-day week, six times 12 is 72, and that doesn't count all the stuff I do in my sleep, and Sunday in between ball games. So it's a full-time, lifetime job, and how could you not do it in the face of armed fascists? who already took over the government and are continuing to take over the government. And very sadly, and I mean this in the most non-rhetorical way, took over the government since 1776. The word fascism is not to be thrown around lightly because we do believe that there's a capitalism and imperialism. And, you know, there's a thing we used to call bourgeois democracy, which is we are very lucky we have elections. Seriously, we are lucky we have some civil life where you can walk down the street and do something. We're lucky there's not a complete surveillance system. We're lucky there's not classic concentration camps or extermination camps, I should say. We have concentration camps, which I'll get to. But we're in a unique moment. That's the point. This is a unique moment. I've had this theory, you know, I've been working on. I read, study history a lot. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show, and you're on kpfk.org in terms of streaming live. You're on KPFK 90.7 FM if you're listening on the radio. I just assumed we're already surrounded by the fascists and you understood that, but it was important to set the frame. I'm doing a lot of work to set the frame to try to understand, but it does feel like I've had sort of this history of three periods in U.S. history. You know, the revolution. Sometimes I pick the revolution starting in 1917 with the Soviet and Russian revolutions. Sometimes I start it in 1793-74 with the Haitian revolution led by Toussaint Louverture. And then you talk about the long reign of colonialism and imperialism. I've been doing, you know, different histories and different how do you slice the same events. And a particular timeline I've been working on is 1945 to 1980, which is the Great Revolution, the Great Third World Revolution, the Great Black-Led Revolution that began with the defeat of fascism in 1945, the rise of black soldiers coming back because the United States needed to use black soldiers, but then they came back with a history of arms and a history of some sense of self-respect and internationalism as they met people from all over the world, exposed to new ideas like communism. 1945, and we go through 1955 with the Bandung Conference and the murder of Emmett Till and the Montgomery bus boycott. And then we end in 1980 with the rise of Reagan and 
Thatcher and the great counter-revolution. And the counter-revolution begins in 1979-1980 in my interpretation of history. And I now understand, in retrospect, that that counter-revolution sort of ends in 2016. And the third period, the explicit rise of fascism, unfortunately, in my opinion, facilitated by Biden and Obama, which we'll come back to, begins in 2016. And the United Front Against Fascism becomes the central strategic question facing the world, as it exists in Brazil right now, as it exists in India, explicitly fascist states coming to power as imperialism disintegrates. So I'm going to read you an article I wrote, which is my first effort to start to intervene in this, because the thing I like about my life and the thing that allows me to work seriously, the 12 hours a day, blah, 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 night and day, is I'm in an organization. I'm part of a movement. I'm with the Labor Community Strategy Center. I work at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center where we can try to reopen it in South Central Los Angeles. I have a whole history of ties to the black movement, the black community, the Latino community. I'm very excited. I'm about to start a new course teaching at Cal State Northridge in the psychology department called an introduction to transformative organizing, and I'm getting all my new employee forms. I'm going, dang, pretty good. You're a, you're a new hire again, starting something new. But the particular thing I want to talk about to KPFK listeners, whoever you are out there, is it's time to up your game. In particular, I think it's time to work with our organization, the Labor Community Strategy Center. And if you really want to volunteer with us in many things I'll get to, write to us at info at thestrategycenter.org because there's no need to have any opinions if you're not getting involved in doing something. What the something is, I don't know. I do know the strategy is a simultaneous united front against imperialism and a united front against fascism. I know that we're in both alliance and struggle with the Biden-Harris administration, but here's something very deep. I was just on a call today of civil rights groups all over the country, and they pointed out, because we're doing a lot of work against the militarization of the schools, that it was Joe Biden after the Columbine massacre when white kids were killed by white people led the militarization of the school movements. And as you know, Joe Biden, along with Bill and Hillary Clinton, led the omnibus crime bill, the effective death penalty and anti-terrorism acts. This isn't this is not KPFK critics. We don't need any more critics. I'm talking about people who want to do something about it. I'm not giving you this advice so you can go, I just heard a really interesting show and Eric Mann said that Joe Biden no, that's not the point. The point is we have to put pressure on the existing Biden Harris administration. And there is a terrifying fact terrifying fact that I learned just today that's almost beyond anything I can express, which is the Trump administration on December 21st essentially declared the Civil Rights Act of 1964 null and void, and it's going to take a lot of work from the Biden administration to, to overturn it. Or if Joe Biden was Donald Trump, he just would have said, hell no. It's not going to take anything to overturn it. I'd have do not accept it, and I plan to overturn it. But we'll come back to that. But my thesis is Joe Biden's not our friend, but he's got to be our ally, and we got to force Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democratic Party with their new majority that black people in particular gave them that we have to force them to do what they will not do without us, which is enforce the Civil Rights Act pass laws to arrest fascists, infiltrate fascist groups, and not infiltrate civil rights groups. Yes, it can be done. Put a lot of people in prison from the right, disarm the right, and arm the black community. U.S. out of the third world, U.S. hands off the third world. That's the vision, folks, ending fossil fuels, Massive investments in the third world, massive investments in climate reparations, 
There's a whole program the Strategy Center has. It's called the Campaign for Urban Reconstruction, which we'll talk about. But where I'm going is I got something I am doing, thank God, in the small mall. I've thanked God several times already. I have something to do, not just something to complain. Let me say something as clearly as I can. If you don't get involved in whether it's us or somebody else doing something, you have blood on your hands. And don't critique Biden and don't critique Trump. Critique yourself and look in the mirror. I mean it, 818-985-5735, around 3.30. And if you want to get involved, info at thestrategycenter.org. Later on, I'm going to have Channing Martinez, our lead organizer, Barbara Lott Holland, our associate director, Bridget Amaya, one of our senior organizers on. And I want to let you on, but you're only allowed to talk about today how I want to get involved. You can tell me I'm already doing something to challenge the Democrats and fight the fascists. That's great. You can tell me what you're doing or what you want to do. You can't tell me what you think absent of action. Is that fair? All right, my friends, you get that intro? Right now, the federal government is saying that they expect armed assaults on every single state house. I ask you this question. If the communists were planning an armed assault, which they don't do, by the way, because that's not the strategy of communism. That's not the tactical plan. If the black movement was planning armed assaults on all 50 state houses and the inauguration, would there not already have been arrests in the tens of thousands and already a lot of people shot and killed? Spoiler alert, the only way a fascist army can organize in the face of the CIA and the FBI and the U.S. Army is if the fascist army is part of the CIA and the FBI and the U.S. Army and the police. They're hiding in plain sight. The very police that beat us up when we march are those fascists. They are in armed groups. They are armed and they are dangerous and they're organized. So we got almost a million police in the United States armed. We have almost a million and a half armed soldiers. That's where the fascists are, folks. In the 60s, we used to say blue by day, white by night. What that meant is the same cop is in the Klan. That's what it meant, blue by day, white. Now they just say blue by day and blue by night because why need the Klan if I can just shoot you legally? All right, I did an article called It's Time for the Civil Rights Movement to Once Again Confront the Democrats and Lead the Struggle Against the White Fascists. Uh, great appreciation to Jeffrey Sinclair, my editor at Counterpunch, who's just really supportive of my work, gave it great placement, which means a lot to Eric Mann when you wake up in the morning and go, wow, it was a second lead article. So go on counterpunch.org. You can also find on medium.org. But go to Counterpunch. Okay, thanks, folks. Here it goes. I woke up very early Wednesday morning, so today's Tuesday, a week ago, to celebrate the great victories of Pastor Raphael Warnock, a courageous black man from Ebenezer Baptist Church, and John Ossoff, a Jew, who defeated two reactionary Republicans in the heart of the old Confederacy, but yes, also the heart of the Reconstruction victories. Wow, was only six days ago. Big props to Stacey Abrams. The racists and voting rights destroyers will long regret messing with that powerful black woman who knows the art of the payback. Parenthesis. Think about that. They denied her the governorship. And unlike critics, she said, all right, you watch me. I'm going to register so many black people. I'm going to register so many decent white people. I'm going to register Latinos. I'm going to register everybody in their mama to vote against these Republicans. And what, two years later, she flips Georgia? Imagine, not just her, I know, but the, all the people that did that voter registration work. Wow. Yes, you should support their work. Support their work. Support all the people doing great work. 
I also knew the significance of a 50-50 Senate with Kamala Harris breaking the ties. Imagine that. It's big, folks. It's a 51-50 vote. And yes, there are lots of reactionaries inside the Democratic Party, which we're going to get to. It's not like there's 50 liberals and 50 racists. There's racists inside the Democrats. It's going to be hard to get that 50-vote majority. But when they can get a 50-vote majority, or hopefully with Romney and a few others, Susan Collins, come over, because you may have some Democratic defections, we can get some 51-50 votes. Now, I'm part of the large group of grassroots movement people who well understood, let's work together to defeat Trump and the fascists, and they then take on the Democratic neoliberalism. But let me be clear on something. When I say I was part of it, I was a teeny-weeny part of it. I had to be doing the work at the strategies, and I was on, on line with Ben the Ark and Rock the Vote. I did call into Pennsylvania, I believe, trying to flip Pennsylvania, and of Biden, and I think I called into Florida. So I was probably a decisive factor in why Biden won uh, Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Pennsylvania, but not really. Uh, big props again to the Sunrise Movement, to Black Lives Matter, to uh, Democratic Socialists of America, to Chicano and, and Latino groups in, in Philly and Pittsburgh, uh, who turned out the vote for Biden-Harris and who are not at this point getting the support from Biden-Harris that they deserve, but we'll come back to that. But within an hour, I saw a mob of armed white fascists assaulting the Capitol to try to overturn the election while the whining talking heads at CNN and MSNBC, Jake Tapper among the worst, calling of all people Donald Trump to call off the very stormtroopers he has organized. Note the Democratic apologists that CNN, MSNBC would never call out to Biden and the Democrats to protect the damn election that 81 million people fought to give them. When you listen to CNN and MSNBC, which I think have to register as Democratic Party lobbyists, note whatever happens, they blame the Republicans. When Obama was in office and he controlled the Senate and the House, they blamed the Republicans. When Obama lost the House, they blamed the Republicans. When Obama was reelected, they blamed the Republicans. And when Obama lost, and I should say, and when Hillary Clinton lost, they blamed the Republicans. They never listen to the interviews. They never confront a Democratic person on there. The only question is, excuse me, Senator, do you think Donald Trump is terrible? Watch how they'll never hold a Democrat's feet to the fire. They'll never have a conflicting, conflictive interview. And they should. But we shouldn't listen to them. We should listen to KPFK. All right. The Democrats knew full this was coming, as did the D.C. police force. The Capitol force, who, like all police, are both in with the fascists and fascists themselves by definition. You get that? The police, the fascists do not exist as some strange white group in the middle of nowhere that nobody knows. The fascists are in with fascist circles in every city. Those fascist circles are heavily police, and if not, they're and as well as very pro-police, and the police are very pro-them. There's no way, no way they could have taken over the Capitol without so many forces, and I say it, inside the FBI and inside the Capitol Police. Now, the Democrats knew that the Republicans were going to contest the election. They announced it. We're going to, imagine that, we're going to reject the vote of the Electoral College. And I tell you, KPFK liberals, abolish the Electoral College, abolish the Electoral College, but you don't do a damn thing about it because you don't represent a damn thing. And they just abolished the Electoral College, proving that if you have the will, you'll figure it out. If you don't have the will, you have blood on your hands. Now, the Democrats, they knew the Republicans would contest the election, unlike Al Gore, who conceded his victory to George W. Bush before even the votes were counted, wanting to set the record for the earliest concession speech in history 
which is his real inconvenient truth. So when you see Al Gore about the inconvenient truth about climate change, dude, you didn't even want to be president and fight for it. You conceded before the votes were counted in Florida. And George W. Bush along, yes, with Bush versus Gore and the Supreme Court. But you know what? Maxine Waters and others begged you to fight it, begged you to fight it. You had no will to fight it. And how do you think George W. Bush got elected? Because of Al Gore and because of the Democrats. The Democrats and all of us knew this was the latest round of Trumpicans refusing to accept defeat. Now, how funny the pathetic liberals chant into the wilderness, abolish the electoral college. But it's Trump who said, it's a great idea. Let's overturn the entire election. And he is still in the process of trying to do so. And he's got, I mean, he's got millions of armed people on his side. Of his 70 million votes, you don't think 10% of them are armed and dangerous? Think about it. 70 million votes, 7 million of whom were at least are white, armed, dangerous, and yes, on crystal meth. The Democrats knew that Trump was mobilizing his base inside and outside the Capitol. They knew Trump's people were armed, dangerous, and many on crystal meth. Hey, I just sounded like the guy in the article. Why didn't Biden, Harris, and Obama call on black folks, Latinos, union members, and the leaders of grassroots movement to come to D.C. to protect the election? Why did D.C. Mayor and Democrat Muriel Bowser give the fascists unchallenged run of the city? She said, in the face of organizations that are more than willing and, in fact, eager to engage in violent acts, counter-protesters can only serve to inflame an already dangerous situation. So let's get it straight. Armed white fascists can protest, but the civil rights movement cannot counter-protest. So much for the mayor painting Black Lives Matter on the streets of D.C. if the black movement is barred from marching on those very streets. Now, I've gotten one email from this article saying, how could you be calling on black people to go to D.C. knowing the bloodbath that would take place? So let's be very clear. I'm not calling on black people to do anything I am saying that I was trained in the civil rights movement where, what did they say, don't go down south and provoke the Klan because you get killed? The black movement chose to cause these confrontations, and I think there will be, again, a civil rights movement that under strict tactical leadership, confronting the police, calling on Biden, calling on the National Guard, calling on the Army to protect them, and yes, some of us are going to have to put our bodies on the line because it makes no sense to say the fascist can march, the fascist can arm, and what do we do? Stay home. That's the answer. I don't agree with that. So let's be very clear. I'm talking about what I'm willing to do. If you notice in my article, the only person I'm saying wants to at least consider putting my body on the line is me. But I do believe, having just been on some calls, that this is being discussed What's the most strategic and tactically correct way for black, Latino, indigenous, white, people of all races to confront the fascists in the street? We can't say nobody's going to do it but the army. That's what I think. Now, why didn't the D.C. and federal police make a massive show of military force, including, yes, arresting every demonstrator and using the great force on the racist while pledging to never use that force against black folks in the movement? I appreciate being able to deconstruct this. The United States has passed anti-communist laws, anti-anarchist laws, and has said basically the Klan is, there's no real anti-Klan law. You can pass an anti-fascist law that says it's a legal right for black people to protest for their civil rights. It's illegal for white people to protest against civil rights. You can do that. Yes, you can. You can say it's illegal to form a fascist organization. And if so, the government has the right to infiltrate it and arrest you guys and put you all in prison. Yes, that's a right. They've already done it against us. So there's selective enforcement, and there always will be. And for those people who say you don't want to pass a law like that because it'll be used against communists and blacks, my friend, they don't even need the law. They already do it. we got to have anti-fascist legislation explicitly, carefully, written and targeted anti-fascist legislation. 
and I plan to be looking at what's been done in Germany and what's been done in other countries to target racist speech and fascist organizing. The reason because the Democratic establishment knows the U.S. is a white settler state and knows that any efforts to support a black-led resistance against white fascism is a human rights imperative, but an electoral disaster. I'll explain. The message to black community and the electoral supporters by Biden and Harris, listen, we get it, we get it, wink, wink. These are armed, crazy white thugs, but let us take care of it. Don't you get involved because if black people rise up, we're going to lose the election. I'm asking you to be cool. Be cool. Trust us. We got this. And now we wonder how Bill and Hillary managed to send so many black people to prison and so many black women off public assistance with so little resistance from the black movement, from the civil rights movement, and yes, from the Democratic Party. Yes, the Clintons are the true super predators. But wait. Finally, a determined Joe Biden comes to the TV stage to confront the situation. They are breaking and they have occupied the Capitol. They're seeking out Nancy Pelosi. They're seeking out black elected officials. They asked Diana Presley yesterday, were you frightened? She said, of course I was frightened. But I'm always frightened. First, I'm a black woman. I'm a black woman frightened of these people before I was a congresswoman. Now I'm a black woman and a congresswoman. We live in fear. But that doesn't constrain me. It simply informs my decisions. Very important. Did you know LeBron James said, six foot nine, one of the greatest athletes and major figures in the world, Every black person wakes up in the morning frightened when they see a policeman. LeBron James. So, yes. But don't worry. Let us take care of it. So Joe Biden comes to the stage to confront the situation. Now, did he call on people? He said, quick, come to D.C. to confront the fascists. No. Did he call for mass arrest of the demonstrators? No. And yes, I hear a shoot to kill order against armed counter-revolutionaries. Yes, shoot to kill. Now, how come Trump can say, if you loot, we will shoot? If you loot, loot. If you take property, we will shoot. Joe Biden said, if you're white and you shoot, it's all right. If you're white and you shoot, it's all right, and we will take care of it eventually. And we are investigating the situation, investigating it, Armed thugs have overthrown the government of the United States to take away an election that you won, Joe. And you are so patient about this. I got to give you credit. It's that white patience. No, his mock outrage was another signal to white America that you won't even get a slap on the wrist for trying to overthrow the government by force and violence. Well, communists who fought for socialism and never, ever believed in armed sort of insurrection as opposed to, yes, massive armed struggle at some point, which they never carried out, by the way. Communists who fought in World War II against the fascists, who fought for socialism, fought for civil rights, they were arrested, imprisoned, exiled, tortured for just discussing a socialist revolution. Go see W.E.B. Du Bois and Paul Robeson. Robeson eventually, the most handsome, brilliant athlete, singer, Phi Beta Kappa, lawyer, communist, sympathizer, greatest artist of his time, actor, eventually ended up in Philadelphia sitting in a chair in a perpetual state of depression where he died. W.E.B. Du Bois, the greatest intellectual in U.S. history, eventually leaves the United States, becomes a citizen of Ghana, and joins the Communist Party in the last year of his 93 years, in 1963. Those were the people that Joe Biden knew how to stand up to, but he will not stand up to the fascists because the neoliberals are very close to the fascists. I didn't say the same, but they're very close. They talk to each other, and they don't talk. 
to the black militants, and they sure as hell don't talk to the communists. Our democracy is under unprecedented assault, unlike anything we've seen in modern times, says Joe Biden. These violent events are an assault on the rule of law. Oh, my God, the rule of law. Like putting a million black people in prison for jaywalking. The rule of law. Please. What law did George Floyd break? Eric Garner broke. There's always some law. The rule of law. Slavery was legal. Jim Crow was legal, folks. That's the rule of law. Don't ever, 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 when they say the rule of law, just throw up first and then understand. Don't ever, ever use that word, the rule of law. This is the white man's law, the imperialist law. That's the law. Law and order. Get it? Law and order. I call on this mob to pull back and allow democracy to go forward. Joe, they're fascists. Why would they want to go democracy to go forward? They don't believe the election was legitimate, Joe. They believe you violated their rights. I call on you. Joe, who cares? Do you think one... They're going to hang Pence. Give them credit. They have the courage of their convictions, and you have no convictions and no courage. And then once again, Biden broke out the old okey-doke signal to white folks they would rather reach across the aisle or even across the lynch mob to find, quote, common ground and be president for all Americans, even those who didn't vote for him. What is it about a Democrat that you run for office, you win by 11 votes, the other half of the, of the voters are trying to lynch you and kill you, and the first thing you say when you win is not to reach out to the people who fought for you, but to reach out to the people that want to kill you. And you wonder, am I exaggerating when I say, how many times did Obama say, reach across the aisle? And when did Obama ever reach out to the civil rights movement? The answer is never. But then again, after God bless America and more statements about our great democracy, uh, Tell that to the 4 million Vietnamese people who were murdered by our government. Saturation bombing, napalm, Agent Orange, inflicted by John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Democrats, and Richard Nixon, a Republican. Yep, the neoliberal imperialists and the fascists, they all have a family reunion. His last line was, this is not decent, it's chaos. Oh, it's not decent. Oh, God, that, boy, that sure put the fascists in their place. You should have just told them, Joe, it's not decent. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, my God, they're putting their arms down right now. They're hugging you, Joe. They're reaching across the aisle. But to just add insult to injury, he nominates Merrick Garland for attorney general as a slap in the face to the civil rights and black movement. When... I believe it was Scalia died. President Obama had this great opportunity to appoint a really liberal, radical judge, which she wouldn't do. He found this guy, Merrick Garland, who is a centrist, neoliberal Democrat, with the very intention of saying, well, I got seven months before I leave, and I think I can get him through Congress because he's such a middle-of-the-road, less-than-moderate, but then the Republicans said, not, not over our dead body. You're not getting it. We are not going to fill a vacancy with seven months. Did Obama pull a sit-in? Did Obama run around the country and say, I demand, I'm putting my person up. You can vote him up or down. I'm putting the best person up. Did he absolutely force the Republicans seven months before the end of his term? After we were told, wait till a second term. He might have been terrible in his first term, but wait till his second term. And Trump fills a position in six days? In the middle of an election? I'm terrified. You know, behind all this anger is terror. Because what I'm telling me 
is the Democrats and the Republicans are going to put us in the concentration camps, folks, not the fascists, if we don't figure out what to do. It's that serious, and I mean it. You watch. If we rise up, they called violence with mainly white people and some black people threw furniture through a window after George Floyd was killed. And what happened to Democrats ran to condemn the violence against the window. But they didn't condemn the violence leading up to this whole election. But we should not be surprised. Remember Joe Biden's most militant statements, because he was militant once, if you remember. I am not a socialist. I am not against fracking. I am not for the Green New Deal. I am not for defunding the police. Boy, Joe, you sure found your militant tone. Well, as my mom used to say with friends like this, who needs enemies? So let's be clear. The Democratic Party, starting with Barack Obama, is the party of demobilization. The party of telling us to stay home and do nothing. While the Republican fascists under Trump are the party of mobilization. Biden got 77 million votes more than uh, Trump. Congratulations. Even congratulations to Biden and Harris, who ran, in their own way, a good campaign against the fascists. I mean, I have no criticism of that campaign. Their job was to win. And who am I? How many votes do I have to help them? None. I'm in California. (laughs) Uh, They already had California. I have no criticism of how they run their campaign. They were who they were, center-right neoliberals. Their job was to defeat Trump, and they did a good job. The challenge is to us. Do you understand? The challenge is to me and you. I am simply setting the stage for the difficult balance of forces we're up against, and there are some positives in this, such as this article. So let's be clear. The question is, where is our movement? Since the Democrats will only conciliate with the fascists and, in fact, embolden them. Now, one thing you know about Eric, he always ends with something positive. If I'm a critic, it's simply a critical analyst of the factual forces, I hope effectively, to set the stage that we have to do something, not simply critique. The whole thesis of this article says is we're both in an alliance with the Democrats and confront the Democrats and challenge them to take on the right. We're in alliance with the squad, with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We're in alliance with Bernie Sanders. We're in alliance with Cory Bush. There's a lot of great people coming with whom we can work. And there's a lot of people listening to this article saying, yes, yeah, I agree, Eric. We cannot let Biden have the honeymoon we gave to Obama. We are already terrified of the deals being cut. Now, we saw some great organizing to defeat Trump at the ballot box, and I want to thank uh, Justin Blake, and I want to thank uh, James Burke, and a lot of our other friends, Tanya, and other friends in Kenosha, Greg, with whom we worked. We saw great marches in Kenosha, Wisconsin, defeat Donald Trump and get justice for Jacob Blake. But as we see time and time again, the march organizers did succeed in delivering Wisconsin to Biden and Harris, but there was no justice for Brother Jacob, who was still paralyzed, while the system exonerated the policeman who shot him in the back. I heard that Justin and the family continue to have demands they're going to be placing, and we will be having them on voices again to figure out what our next steps are. Now, as Justin Blake, his uncle, explained, this is going to impact the city and the state and this nation for many years to come unless the people rise up and do what they're supposed to do. Note, he's calling for people to rise up, not stand back. Justin continues, this is a government for the people, by the people, correct? We talk about this Constitution everybody's supposed to be so committed to, and yet we stand in a state that has the most convictions of African Americans in the United States. So they're weighing heavy on one side of justice, meaning the white fascists, but they're allowing police officers to rain down terror on our communities. It's unjust. So understand, 
Jacob Blake said, unless the people rise up. Eric Mann is supporting Justin Blake, who said it's time for the people to rise up. Get it? But we rise up without illusions. When white racist mobs rise up, they are safe. When a black-led protest rises up and, quote, does what it's supposed to do, we know there'll be more police killing. I hear you. More police killing. So, yes, we rise up, but with no illusions about the systematic police violence of the white settler state. And, by the way, there are tactical choices of how to rise up, tactical choices of when to rise up, tactical choices to reduce the risk, not to eliminate the risk, but to minimize the risk and maximize the returns. That's the role of strategy and tactics. That's why you need organizations, not just spontaneously rising up. Now, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, we marched into the heart of segregation down south and down north, as Fannie Lou Hamer said, meaning all you people in the north who think you're so liberal, we in Mississippi see you all as part of the down south, down north. Now, we took the tactical initiative. We carried our confrontations against the structures of oppression in our workplaces, schools, hospitals, and unions. And while we marched often, we also took the struggle into every institution in the U.S. It was Core and SNCC and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and yes, the NAACP, the Urban League, the Nation of Islam, and later the Black Panther Party, who called the question every day and took the tactical initiative. Channing, Barbara, and my comrades, it looks like I may be taking up most of the show, but you're on KPFK, Voices from the Front Lines, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, a low cousin, a sister-in-law, Mindy, and uh, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. But I want you to listen to this carefully. The picture is that King marched to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which he did. What you don't understand is that we marched into the offices of our own employers. We marched into our union halls and called on the union to stop its racist practices. We People lost their jobs. School teachers lost their jobs. <clears throat> Principals lost their jobs. People won things because we organized in every institution. So if you have a job or if you are in a church right now, think about the great work that ACT UP did, right? ACT UP went into the church and threw blood all over the church and said they had blood on their hands. That's the kind of organizing, and a lot of people don't, today don't know that, which is you got to come to the Labor Community Strategy Center and learn about organizing and check out my book, Playbook for a Progressive, the 16 qualities of the successful organizer, and check out V.I. Lennon, who said, you can't have a successful revolution without giving it a planned and conscious character. So I'm not just saying let's march on the Capitol. I'm saying let's march on our unions to take more action. Let's march on our employers. Let's march on our families like we did in the 60s and came into the family and said, what's our family going to do? Can our family take more of a stand? Some families broke up over it, and some families got more unified over it. But we took the revolution into every institution and every person and asked the question, which side are you on? That's what we're going to have to do again. As a result, we pushed Kennedy and Johnson on civil rights. We forced a confrontation with the Democratic racists inside the party. We, black, we ran black candidates for mayor, from Carl Stokes in Cleveland to Ken Gibson in Newark, and yes, we built the National Black Political Convention in 1972. And as I watch the time, I'll finish. I wanted to get a lot of your voices on. I came into the studio to hear your voices. But you know what? Info at the Strategy Center, Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, is the more relevant way I want to hear from you Hey, Eric, yeah, I want to get involved in the Strategy Center's work. Hey, Eric, yes, I'm already doing some great work I want to tell you about. And we'll read it next week on the air. Is that a deal? What are you doing to fight the fascists? Not what you think others should do. What are you doing for black liberation? 
What are you doing in your own workplace? What are you doing about the vaccine? And how do we get it to black and Latino people? You get it. How do we get food into the hands of people? Nice job, South LA Cafe and Joe and Celia, who are doing a great job of getting food to people. Out of some great counter-hegemonic organizing that cost Martin and Malcolm and so many others their lives, we created the conditions for the great George McGovern for President campaign. you got to check that out. Absolutely amazing, 1972. And later, Jesse Jackson for President campaign, 1984 and 1988, both of which were sabotaged by the Democratic Party establishment. You hear that? Democratic liberals like... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's why she says, I'm having a lot of trouble with the Dems. <laughs> That's really funny. She's in the Democratic Party, and she goes, those Dems are driving me crazy. Right on. Right on, AOC. We got to work inside the Democratic Party and outside the Democratic Party, but we got to build a movement to the left and independent of the Democratic Party. But we were a real movement, and we forced our way into making history. We passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and we helped to end the war in Vietnam and help the Vietnamese people win self-determination. And the system has been retaliating against the black movement and the radicals and the revolutionaries ever since. Now we have to go back to what we understood. Direct action organizing, including the right of self-defense, is what we need. We in the civil rights, black, Latinx, indigenous, human rights, women's, environmental, and climate justice movement have to put our bodies on the line and directly confront the white fascists through the most strategic and carefully constructed plans. And yes, we need very tight tactical leadership to prevent provocateurs and self-appointed anti-fascists, you get the point, many of whose groups are heavily infiltrated from having any tactical role in our actions, and yes, it can be done. I've seen with CORE, with SNCC, with SELC, and today, with some excellent leadership from Black Lives Matter LA, that a demonstration can and must have disciplined leadership and marshals to enforce the laws of engagement. We can get to the complex how and when question of tactics at a later point, but here is my conclusion. The challenge for each of us now is to question our own level of commitment, our own willingness to fight and, yes, confront them. We have to ask ourselves, do we believe Biden and Harris, Schumer and Pelosi, the Supreme Court, the CNN and CNBC babblers, the police, the army, or God can protect us? We are on our own, sisters and brothers, so let's look in the mirror, get together, and at least plan a serious engagement on new steps. As I watch the fascist mobs with their white power confidence, I'm asking myself how much more fight do I have in me? As I learned when I first came to work with CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality in 1964, and still confront myself today, I have less fight than I wish I did, but as much as the movement needs. I learned that courage is collective, and if we fight together and take on the fascists, there's a sober collective courage that's exhilarating, as we know this is why we were placed on this earth. We in the movement know that if a black-led movement confronted our government and moved to take over the Capitol, there'll be 500 dead black folks in the street and thousands of us in concentration camps as sedition and treason are only enforced against blacks, Jews, and communists. But we're not trying to take over the Capitol. We're trying to protect a democratic election. We're going to have to put ourselves between the fascists and their own targets. We cannot let the fascists continue to roam this country armed and dangerous without a confrontation. And yet, I want to fight. I want to push myself to put my body on the line, my body back on the line, because I do not want the fascists and the neoliberals to keep getting away with murder.
D'Angelo Jones, how many minutes do we got? Four. Jenny Martinez, if you can call in at 818-985-5735 for one minute where I read my credits, you figure out the last two minutes. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. I want to read my bio, though, because it is inspiring to me. Sometimes I look at it, I mean it, I go, Eric Mann is a veteran of the Congress of Racial Equality, which I swear to God will be on my grave. And the newer Community Union Project, where he worked closely with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. His story is on the Civil Rights Movement Veterans website, crmvet.org, a terrific website. Check it out. It's got so many beautiful, I mean, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of biographies of civil rights fighters, some of which have already uh, passed away. He's presently director of the Labor Community Strategy Center in South Central Los Angeles, working at the Strategy and Center Movement Center. He and Channing Martinez co-host Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show on KPFK Pacifica in Los Angeles. He's the author of Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer. He welcomes comments. Oh, check this out. I got a new website, Eric at Civil Rights organizer.com. Pretty good, right? Eric at civilrightsorganizer.com. Okay, not having heard, uh, D'Angelo, why don't we have Nina Simone take us out and do it my way. Everybody, please send an email to info at thestrategycenter.org if you want to get involved. Send it to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines. Let's use that one, dot com. Uh, Channing at thestrategycenter.org. Please tell us what you think. Whatever you write, I mean it, unless it's explicitly pro-fascist, I will read next week. I'll read your opinion on the air, and I'll respond. Thanks, everybody, and thank you, D'Angelo. Hello? Channing, you got one minute, bro. (laughs) You're going right into Nina Simone. It's a great article. The most important thing is we want to hear from you at the Strategy Center. There's a lot of important fights around LAUSD and police and schools and free public transportation and even trying to get involved on the national level around Title VI. And we need your help. We need your actions. And give us a call. Give us an email, info at thestrategycenter.org. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Channing. Thanks, Nina. And so I got to face the final curtain. Friends, I'll say it clear and state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full of travel each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I dig my way.